0: Well, we are in the middle of our series called This Is How We Do It, and it is a series on values. And, and you get the idea of values, right? What are, what are values? Values are your inner core. There, there's, they are what drives a man or a woman to become the kind of person that they are. It, it's the inner spirit. It's the inner character. It's the ethics. It's, it's, the, it's what determines right and wrong in your life, what's good and evil and best in your life. It determines, really, the outcome of who you are becoming, and you realize that businesses have you know these values that drive them it 's how they treat people it 's how they treat their customers and of course organizations have them, but churches have them as well, and so we started to talk about this last week that churches have have values. Churches have this DNA that drives how they do what they do. And so last week, we started to talk about the DNA of Metro, the values of Metro, how we want to do church. And so over the last, really, uh, couple months, we've been really trying to describe the big picture of who we want to become as a people. We've been talking about this idea of becoming a church of next steps. Y'all remember this? Where people can take next steps toward God and with God. No matter where you've been in life, no matter who you are in life, no matter how long or, or not so long you've been trying to follow this, this God, right, this, this creator out there. We're saying we want to be a church that helps people to take next steps toward him and with him, to respond to him in any way, to, to grow this relationship with him. But that's, that's why we do it. But this idea of how we, we do it. It's determined by our values, what we hold true, what we hold dear as a people. It's The values we're, we're creating as a church will determine how we treat people, how we treat the world around us, and how we treat each other. It's what we're going to hold on to and cling to no matter what comes our way. And so last week, if you were here with us, we launched out on our first three values. Anybody remember this? We, we said there's three values that... that that drive us three of the top values you know the, the number one two and three for us and the first one was truth y'all remember this we, we said that truth from God's word is what we need you don't need my opinion or the opinion of others you need truth that comes solely from God's word and this community we call Metro is built around the truth of God's word called the Bible we cling to it it is the source of life it is the source of our being. It is the source of who we want to become. It leads us to God. So truth is the first thing. But we said that truth must be blanketed in like a burrito of love. Y'all remember this? That, that, that truth always points at love, and love always points back at truth. They're completely inseparable. The world, when they look at us, if they don't see people who love deeply, who care deeply, then they'll forget our truth. They'll ignore our truth. They don't want any part of our truth. But when the world sees that we we love deeply, it'll open their hearts. It'll open their minds. It'll open their souls to the same move of God that many of us have experienced. So truth points at love, and love points back at truth. And when truth and love come into your life, they come in in the form of a person. His name is who? Jesus. Jesus embodied truth. Jesus embodied love. And friends, when when you, if you, get to this point in your life where you meet Jesus, I mean, where where truth invades your soul, and where love invades your soul, you will want to get to know Jesus better. You will want to grow into his likeness. And so as a church, we said our third value was this idea of growth because we believe we got to do stuff to grow our soul. we got to do stuff to grow our relationship with God. We say that it's completely normal that every single one of us doesn't want to be satisfied with who we are, but that we want to become more like him. We want to grow our soul. Anybody remember all this stuff? Y'all with me so far on this? Does this kind of you know, move you in the same direction? Is this something that you can say, I want to be part of? Is this it for you? Y'all with me on this? Because we can go home right now, folks. Y'all with me? And so this, so this idea of values, and, and I want to just lay the next three out for you. And, and I want to tell you them all at the same time, then we'll just kind of flesh them out real quickly. Uh, but, but what I want to do today is I want to take you on a bit of a journey. I want us to go somewhere, and we're going to take a little bit of a risk today. And so you're going to have to track with me, but I just want to lay out these these next three values, because I think they are incredibly important to the DNA of our church. They're at the heartbeat of who we are. And here they are for you guys. Ready? You all ready? It's passion, it's relevance, and it's excellence. See, this idea of passion is that we want to be a people who passionately pursues the heart of God. We want to be a people that passionately pursues the presence and the power of God in our life. We want people to know that we really believe what we do believe. We don't want people just to look at you and go, I'm not even sure you believe that. When they look at us as a community, I want people to know unmistakably that we are a passionate people for God in all things God. That we want more of him in our life. That it's critical um, that, that that people know that it is real within us, friends. When you walk into this place, I got to be honest. My my goal is to light a fire in your soul. It's so that when you come in here, that you experience something different than anywhere else in culture. That when you come into this place, that there is something radically different. That you go, oh my goodness, I'm running into God Himself. We believe with all of our heart that when we're here together that you can run into God. We want to pursue passionately the heart of God. There was a very famous preacher about 150 years ago in London, England. He used to preach to tens of thousands of people a week. Largest church on the planet at the time. Unbelievable. He used to preach to tens of thousands of people. It was incredible. And one day he was asked why people came to see him preach in such large numbers. His answer was quite telling. He simply said this. He goes, Well, I don't know. I think people want to come and see me burn. I think people want to come and see me burn. What was he saying? Like a moth to the fire. People are drawn because something is real inside of us. People are drawn to God because they know that God is here and that we are a people passionately pursuing God. Now, friends, that very same cathedral that used to be packed by tens of thousands each and every week literally has a handful of people left. It has become a tourist trap inside the very heart of a city that used to know the heart of God. And, friends, the reason it's an empty place now is because something has died inside of the people, The Spirit of God is no longer alive inside of the people. Friends, listen, if they don't see that this belief in God is real and passionate, that it's an all consuming fire inside of us, then we deserve to die too as a church. We deserve to shut our doors and shutter our windows because they need to know that it's real within us. I think one of the reasons that people are leaving church life by the droves and that churches by the thousands are shutting their doors every single year in America is because the Spirit has died long ago, and they're just now getting around to the funeral. And I don't want our church to die. But if the Spirit of God leaves our church, then we deserve to die we've got to be a people that burn brightly with the passion and the pursuit of God in our life. I think people walk into church every single week by the millions in America. And they walk out going, why was I even there? There was nothing alive there. There was a shallowness of soul there. And they're not sure that they even need to go back the following week or to let alone be involved in it. Friends, that can never happen to us. There can never be a lack of passion in our pursuit of God, nor can there be a lack of relevance. And this idea of relevance is this. This is really our, our next core value. This idea of relevance is that we desire to connect people in a very real way to a very real God. We want it to be tangible in their life. We, uh, this is so important, friends. You think about it. God places um, his call his desire, the desire for him in people's hearts. He starts to stir this around in people's hearts. And what happens is their hearts begin to stir. They look around and they go, I'm missing something. I need something. I want something more. And so what do they do naturally? Oftentimes they'll find a a church. They'll find his church. And so they'll walk into his church. And if it doesn't relate with them, if it doesn't move them, if it doesn't connect with them, they walk right back out and go, I don't even know what that was about. Friends, um, for many people, when they finally get up the gumption to come to this thing called the church, they walk in and they find an entirely different world. And I just don't mean a completely different look. I don't mean an irrelevant style even, even though I think that's part of it. I think it's far more than just uh, irrelevant music or dress or or look of a building, even though, again, that's, that's part of it. I mean, it's a, probably a big part of it, actually. You know, because when you think about it, I don't know too many people who are busting out songs that are 200, 300, 400 years old. I just don't. I don't know too many people who, when they get their new living room furniture, come up with wood benches. Right? I mean, you know what churches use for chairs, right? I mean, if, we, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about, right? They're called what? Pews. And they go, "Whew, pew." Those things stink, right? I mean, pews, right? I mean. Pews are used in churches. There are these wooden benches with wooden backs. And I think they're kind of like designed for torture and guilt. I'm not sure. But, but, but think about this. Where else in all of culture do you see, where only else in all of culture do you see pews being used? In court. And nobody wants to go to court and get judged, Right? <laughs> It's, it's just true. But this idea of relevance is just way bigger than style of the music or style of the building or styling of the seats. What we want out of relevance here, friends, is that we want what happens in here to matter out there what we discuss on the weekends in this place, what we sing about in the weekends and in this place, we want it to lift their soul. We want it to open their hearts. We want it to open their minds. We want it to challenge who they are and to encourage them to walk closer with God. What we want is a relevance that says, what we do in this place matters outside of this place. That's what we talk about when it comes to this idea of being relevant. And, and it takes... I want you to think about this. This is the next core value that drives us. And it takes a measure of excellence to do this. It, it just really does. It takes a measure of excellence to do this. We, we've been saying this around here for a lot of years. That excellence, what does it do? It is, it honors God and it inspires people. It honors God and it inspires people. When we talk about this idea of being excellent, we don't talk about this idea of being perfect or the best at anything. It just means that we give our best in order, our best, in order to honor God and inspire people to know him more. Y'all hear me on this? You, you, you agree with this, I hope, right? You understand where we're coming from? This idea of excellence really matters. Now, can I be completely just honest with you and you're not gonna like judge me or think I'm arrogant or anything like that because that's not my hope, it's not my heartbeat at all. But I just wanna say this. This idea of excellence, it can be very disappointing in church life I can tell you this, that the vast majority of churches that I've stepped foot in in over the last 20 years, has the experience has left me incredibly disappointed when it comes to the quality of the experience. And here's what I mean by this, this idea of the quality of the experience. I think it is an absolute sin to bore people to death. I think it is a sin to take the mighty living word of God and to somehow give it in a way that puts people to sleep. I don't get that because my God is alive. My God wants to do a work deep inside the hearts of people and it should not bore people to death. Listen, friends, I think it is a sin to invite people to a church where they are supposed to come and meet the God of all creation and the bathrooms are filthy, And the bathrooms haven't been updated in 25, 35, 45 years some of the times. Friends, that should not be in the body of Christ. I I think it is a terrible reflection. It is an embarrassment for people who call themselves Christians to to invite their unbelieving friends into an environment where where the music is, is off time, out of key. And I'm not talking about style of the music. Whatever you choose to do, that's fine. But do it well. Kick it, hit it, slam it, right? Whatever you choose to do, do it, how? For the glory of God. Do it for the glory, excellence matters. It it honors God and it inspires the rest of us. You know, this is why we have so many people uh, each and every week around here blows my mind who volunteer to keep this place running who come and change light bulbs and clean bathrooms because they believe that excellence does honor their God. And they do it for the glory of God. And they believe that a whole bunch of people whose hearts are far from God might walk into this place and be inspired to know God because of this place. Yes, a building can do that. A place can open people's hearts to God. And so passion, relevance, and excellence, three values that drive us. They have the key, some of the key ingredients to the life of our little church. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. I want to take us on a little bit of a journey. And I want you to see for yourselves how these values are lived out here, how people experience, or at least how we want people to experience them. But first, I want to do this. I'm going to take a huge risk. I want us to do an old fashioned walk through an entire, almost an entire chapter of the Bible. I I want to walk you. the first part would be fun. The journey part that we're going to get to in a second, that's going to be fun. This may not be so fun because this is literally one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to understand. But here's what I want to do. I think we need to take a risk on this. And I want us to walk through because I think the writer of Scripture is talking about these three issues right here, these three values. So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, ter- turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 together here. So one of the key things to understanding the entire book of 1 Corinthians, you guys ready for a little old-fashioned Bible study? You okay with that? I hope so. It's just a little old-fashioned, but we're going to be good. It's going to be good. So let's, let's go together on this, okay? Um, one of the ways to understand or the keys to understanding the book of 1 Corinthians is that Paul, one of the early church um, leaders that God used in incredible ways to shape the Christian community, um, Paul was writing... To correct a whole bunch of wrongs that were happening in this little church called the church at the city of Corinth. And so Paul wrote about all the different issues. And when he comes to the middle section or the later middle section of, of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, he, he's trying to speak into how they do church together. He's, he's trying to form their values. He's trying to shape their understanding of what the public gathering, pause, what we are doing right now is the exact same thing that Paul's talking about. When he gets, when the church, when the Christian people, when people interested in the things of God, when we come together, we call it church. So Paul was talking about what happens when we come together and do church, okay? So he's in, in, the, in the second or first Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, And Paul is very specifically coming to correct their misunderstandings and misuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, anybody in the room ever hear the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, so maybe about half of us. Okay, so let me explain this a little bit. Um, The scriptures teach us that God wants to empower his followers through these gifts, these abilities that he gives um, through the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, that God wants to come alongside, and he wants to take what you can do, and he wants to take it to different levels. He wants to elevate it to a supernatural game where, where God does extraordinary things in and through the lives of his followers. But one of the things that, that you'll find if you hang out in the life of the church for any length of time is that churches can be weird. Anybody? Anybody? Churches can be strange. Things can get a little crazy in church. little show of hands, honesty here. How many have seen some some Christians do some crazy stuff in the name of God? Anybody? Anybody? If you think I'm like a Christian that's weird, you ain't seen nothing. Okay? I mean like... It's way crazier than that, okay? Um, so this idea of supernatural gifts or these spiritual gifts that Paul starts to talk about—maybe you've you've seen what some people claim to be spiritual gifts—and and it's like where where people are like kind of certain groups of Christians get together and they get, get, get pretty strange. People start like rolling on the ground and um, been in environments where people start laughing hysterically and they say God is making them just laugh and laugh and laugh. I've I've been in environments where people were praying over other people and people just kind of fall to the ground and flop around like a fish. That gets a little bit, a little bit strange, you know, sometimes Uh, I've been in environments where I was sitting like, like right down at the aisle and, and people get up, true story, and just run the aisles. Like the guy's up preaching and somebody's out like running the aisles and they're claiming that God is making them run the aisles and now, of course, me, I wanted to trip them because that's just the darker side of me coming out. Just wonder what would happen if God was in charge. I'm sure he could miss my trip or something. I don't know. But, um, so, but, but you, you've seen it, right? You've seen some of this stuff. And one of the, one of the, the, the things that people say or that, that there is a spiritual gift is this gift of tongues. Have you ever heard of this before? It's this, it's this um, ability, this empowerment to speak in maybe a different language, or maybe no language at all. But maybe it's just a, a, a communication that goes between your spirit and the spirit of God. Now, some of us go, that's kind of strange. I don't get that. But let me tell you, what's, what's very interesting is Paul, in this book, he says this is real. And this happens. And let me tell you something. I believe it's real. And I believe this happens. Where, where God empowers people for this supernatural kind of edification between you and God. It's called this gift of tongues. And it And it happens. But, but sometimes when you get into certain environments in church life, uh, this gift can get a little bit crazy, okay? It can get a little out of control. And Paul says it can get a little bit crazy, and Paul says it can get a little bit out of control. And apparently, in the church of Corinth, it was a little bit out of control. And so Paul writes to them, trying to correct them, and he tries to bring clarity on what these gifts are really all about and how they're supposed to be used and, and why God even gives them in the first place. And, and really, Paul drives at this, these main points, these main thoughts over and over that, that the gifts that come from God are always supposed to bring love for people, never separation, but love and unity, and that they're meant to, to build up the body of Christ, And they're meant to draw people to Jesus. They're meant to love, to build, and to draw every single time, with no exceptions. That is what the gifts are for. And so Paul comes along, and he begins to correct their use of spiritual gifts and and how they do church life together. And the overarching thing that we're going to see right now in the Scripture is that Paul says, listen, ready? He says, church can get weird don't be a weird church. That's what he says. He says don't be a weird church. And I'm going to show you this. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm just going to read most of it to you. You ready? It says right off the bat he says this. Let love, say this word, let love be your highest goal. He says love always is is the top dog. Love always ru- rules. Love is always the pursuit of the believer. Truth must be blanketed in love every single time. It says, so let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire these special abilities, or some translations say these spiritual gifts, through this that the spirit gives, especially this gift of prophecy. Now, when you read that, most people go, whoa, 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 prophecy, am I gonna like tell the future? Is that, I mean, winning lottery numbers? What's going on here, you know? No, 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 no. Um, any back study of this particular expression prophecy will, will tell you right away what the what the writer means is that prophecy in this case is not future telling at all it is truth telling it's almost like the word preaching could come out of this word it, it's when a when a prophet or a priest or a pastor stands and gives truth to the congregation it, it literally it's the f- not the foretelling of the future, it is the fourth telling of God's word. Totally different meaning. Y'all with me on this so far? And so he says, there are these spiritual gifts that are gonna be among you. But first and foremost, make sure you desire the telling of truth, blanketed in love, right? The highest goal is love. But he says, make sure that truth gets carried in love. And then it says this, verse two, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Now he's talking about when we get together as a church, right? So it says, since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will be all mysterious. Verse three, but one who prophesies strengthens others. One, he encourages them and he comforts them. So in other words, when you stand and, and teach or when we have conversations together in the lobby, we should what? Encourage and strengthen e- each other. We should lift one another in words That are understandable in a way that is understandable, right? And so verse four says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened how? Personally, but we're together. And he says, there's a church thing going on. We're all together. It's not about you individually. It's about everyone together. It's about doing life with God together. He says this, but one who speaks a word of prophecy, he strengthens the entire church. Verse five, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets it, um, interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So there are gonna be these moments where somebody is gonna get this special word from God But it better be revealed to everybody. When it's all said and done, everybody's got to have it. It's got to come to the whole congregation because we're together on this. Check this out. Here's what it says. So unless someone interprets what you are saying uh, so that the whole congregation will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, now that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like a flute or a harp must be played uh, with notes clearly or no one will recognize the medley. In other words, if I just start and jamming, you're going to go, what song is that? It's terrible, right? And he's making this case that says when you come together, everybody should know what's going on. There shouldn't be this other world you walk into called the church world. Ever walked into some church worlds and you go, I just spend an hour and a half. I have no idea what was said, done, or otherwise, right? And you just walk out going, "Woo!" He says that should never happen in the body of Christ. People should get it. They should know it. It should resonate in their soul. Now listen, he goes on, he says this. Um where am I at? Where am I at? Oh oh, yeah, then he says this. He goes. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they're being called to battle? And it's the same thing for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will you know what you what how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking to an empty space. Pause. I gotta be real honest. I've been to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of church services in my life. And many times I felt like it was an empty space. Somebody was talking, somebody was singing. But I just didn't have any idea what was going on. There wasn't anything driven into my soul. And it could have been just me. It could have been just me, I admit it. But my guess is most of us have felt that way at one point or another in church life. And Paul says you've got to guard against that. You've got to fight that. Church has to be relevant to people's Lives. Listen what he says. He says, There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true of you. Since you are so eager to have these special abilities uh, from the Spirit, seek those that will strengthen what? The whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I won't understand what I'm saying. Verse 15. Well then, what should I do? Or what shall I do? Right? He goes this. I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray in words that I understand. I will sing in the spirit. Now hold on for a second. I got to be clear about something here. There are times, even in this church, together with our people here, that I can't describe it any other way other than I was in the Spirit. And I don't even understand sometimes what's going on. Um, Emotions will flood over me, and I'll start crying, and I'll raise my hand, or sometimes I get on the ground in the back there, and I'm just worshiping God, and I don't even know. There's sometimes I can't describe it any other way than being in the Spirit. So Paul says there are gonna be times, and I hope that this experience comes to you, that you're gonna be so caught up in the presence of God that you can't describe it any other way than I was just in the spirit. I was with God's spirit, in his presence. Move deeply, move deeply. But Paul says there are gonna be moments like that where I sing in the spirit, where there's times out there I pray to God that the PA doesn't go off because I'm like, I can't sing a lick, right? But Paul also says to be aware of other people. So I will sing in the spirit, but I'll also sing with words I understand. I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray with words they understand. And so if the PA shuts off, my voice goes down, right? Because I need to be aware of others around me. So that why? The whole body will be edified. Believe me, you will not be edified if you hear me sing. You will not be. It's just not going to happen. And so he says this, verse 16, for if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? And how can they join in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting at Metro, I would rather speak five understandable words to others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Now skip down to verse 23. He summarizes it. He says, for if an unbeliever, this is the why, he says, for if an unbeliever or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. Or weird. Or both. And there's too much of that in church life. And Paul's saying, we've got to make sure church relates to people out there. That's what he says. He says, but, if you are all prophesying, what is prophesying? We looked at it earlier, speaking encouraging words, lifting each other up, opening people's minds. If we're doing those things together as a body, he says, but if you are prophesying and an unbeliever or people who don't understand these things, they come into your meeting, they will be convicted of their sin and they will be judged by what you are saying. As they listen, 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 as they are hearing you, their secret thoughts will be exposed. In other words, God's spirit will begin to work. God's spirit will begin to move in you and, the, and, it will, uh, and, and then they will be exposed and they will fall all to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. There it is, friends. That's why passion, relevance, and excellence matters deeply in this place. Because when someone who hasn't grown up in church life, like some of us have, when they walk into this place, we want them to leave going, God is truly among them. Whether they come to believe or not, that's really between them and God. But as far as it depends on us, we want clean bathrooms. As far as it depends on us, we want coffee that's good. People get excited about that one. Whoa. Listen, as far as it depends on us, we want a band that rocks. Right? As far as it depends on us, we want teaching that pierces the heart and matters deeply to people. That everybody can walk out and go, at least I understand what the man is saying. Right? That's the kind of community that we want. Because listen, friends, the, what Paul is saying to us here, he was saying that the church is far too guilty of pushing people outside of the church. Have you ever f- heard people say, well, if I go to church, I'm going to feel judged? I don't think it has much to do with the preaching. I think it's from the moment they walk in the door, they're made to feel like outsiders before they even have a chance to become an insider. And so when they walk in here, what we hope that they'll see is they'll see somebody who greets them warmly at the door. We're in a commercial building because we want people to go, I'm used to going to Sam Club, I'm used to going to Home Depot. That's normal. And so we want them used to coming to a place like this. This is why we chose to be in a building like this. This is why we chose to build the next building the way we did. So when they walk in here, they get warmly greeted. They look around, they go, this ain't church. This isn't church how I remember it. This isn't church how I've seen it. But they walk in here and go, there's something fresh and there's something different about this place, something inviting. This isn't church as usual. This is why we want them to be met with the aroma of Baxter's. Because it's good, right? And we want them to feel like it's good. And when they walk in here and see music and the lights and the fog, and people go, fog is from the devil. Are you crazy? I mean, it's accepted everywhere else but the church. Fog is not spiritual either way. It's what you do inside of that fog for the glory of God. Passion, relevance, and excellence. It draws people to the gospel. That's why we do what we do. Um, we don't want them to feel like they don't belong in a place this. We want them to go, I can listen to these people at least. I can think about what they're thinking about. I can consider what they're considering. That's what we want to do. And, And so here's what we want to do. I want to take you on a journey of how this looks in our environment here at Metro, And I need you to imagine something with me. I need you to imagine that you're not much of a church person. And uh, you're at work, right? And somebody has invited you to this thing called church. Okay, so imagine that, you're, that there's something going on in your life and that your soul is being stirred by God in some way. And, and somebody comes along and says, Hey, I want you to come visit my church sometime. It's mattered in my family. It's mattered in my life. It's done something inside of me. Now you're thinking, whoa, whoa, God's stirring something in me. Maybe you're thinking already I'm missing something in my soul and somebody invites you to this place. And and they say, well, where's your church? You say, well, we're the the old building right next to I-75 and Eureka Road next to Hooters. Yeah, we're the Hooter Church and uh, Home Depot. And (laughs) hey, we like orange. I don't know, (laughs) you know. And uh, and you say, you know, why don't you come and check it out? You can go to the website, check it out. Now think about being that unbeliever or that new person to church life. Think about how nervous you were the first time you stepped into church. Think about how crazy that was. And you don't even know what to wear. And they tell you, hey, your buddy tells you, hey, wear jeans. And you're going, jeans? I don't heard of a church that wears jeans. That's crazy. And so you're nervous about even what to wear to church. But you come and you try it. And you walk in here. And you're looking around, and all of a sudden, the first thing you see is, oh, this building's different. You're used to a place like this. You don't choose to go to junky places in your own life. You're used to going to places where there's a nice restaurant. You walk in, you go, wow, that's that's nice. Smells good. And your friend buys you a cup of coffee. And he hands it to you and says, let's go into the service. Now, imagine you walked into a place like this, into these very rooms, and you sat in a seat Just like this. What are you feeling? You're so nervous you don't even know what's going on. Your friend is probably praying for you like crazy, but you're so nervous. Now, picture this with me. What would it be like if your friend sees stuff like this instead of what they normally see in church? Go. We think god is a creative god he's the master creator and so when you come to this place you'll see lots of video and drama and creative stuff not because it's entertaining but because it speaks to the heart of humanity i don't want our church just to be a stadium full of fans i want us to be followers
1: everything you did before you hit the ground
0: What we do here matters. It it says that lives are being changed and lives are being affected in Christ and his grace is at work in people's life. From the very beginning, this church has had only one mission, one purpose, and that's Jesus
2: people ask all the time man why in the world do we do what we do why do we have the band so loud why do we have smoke and lights and here's why because heaven is going to be a party heaven is going to be loud there's going to be lights there's going to be smoke i mean they're going to see jesus and welcome back boom blast down go holy holy we're going to be screaming our guts out and it's going to be awesome Shortly after getting out of jail the second time, my sister told me about Metro, and I found out that it was only like a mile away from me, so I started walking. I had no car, I had no license. I started walking every week.
3: He brought the invitation for you and I to come boldly into the
0: presence of God. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Redeemer. He's always, always been at the end of everything that we do. The end result, the end goal of everything that
2: we do. Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. And Jesus will finish what he starts. And Jesus will never lose one of his own. And I know I'm his.
0: Can you imagine the final moments before death? Many of us have been around somebody's final moments. But all of us have seen a movie where somebody is about to breathe their final breath. Now, I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine that you've been found guilty of a terrible crime. You've maintained your innocence all the way through, but in your heart, in your soul, you know you're guilty. And now you're standing at death's door. I want you to think about this for a moment, how you and I, we let one thing, one desire, one habit separate us from God that we let this one thing consume us to the point of pushing out all of the other blessings of God all the other call of God on our life we we, we let it steal our joy we let it steal our happiness we let it steal our relationship with God as a matter of fact everything in our culture and I mean everything says you can get what you want and you can get it right now Uh, everything in our culture says don't deny yourself Anything. Matter of fact, fill every desire, every longing you have and fill it right now. All of this competes with God's place in our life. And the problem is, is that we are so stinking full of everything else in the world that God gets drowned out, that his voice gets clouded out, drowned out in our life. So what is God calling you to? What what is he stirring inside of you? What what makes your heart, heart pound when you see it? What are the injustices that that if you could do something, you would do something? Listen, I am
3: Mr. Satan. Life is about fun, okay? And remember, who loves you? Your Uncle Lou loves you. Alright, it's Uncle Lou. I love you guys. Have a great day.
0: If you haven't guessed by now, our nation's capital is named after our very first president, George Washington. And his influence on our nation is immeasurable. And it's remembered here in the monument dedicated to him. We're on a road trip to the center of the life of our nation's very first president. A prototype of presidents, if you will. A man whose life symbolized the dawn of a bold new age. A man whose name was synonymous with words like freedom and democracy. Can you imagine two armies, two American armies squaring off for the bloodiest battle ever fought on American soil? It's hardly imaginable, but in just three days, on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1863, over 51,000 Americans were either killed or severely wounded in these very fields. Oh yeah, we are in Vegas, baby. This is where it's all going down. The, The streets are lit, there's people everywhere, there's a party going on in here. And so we figured we'd come to Vegas because it is the one place where you can ruin your life, right? I mean, you can ruin it all in one. He
3: promises that whenever you sin and fall, he will pick you up again, dust you off, clean you off, and put you back on the road.
0: God literally reaches down in the middle of the chaos of our life, and he swoops us up and says, you are mine.
2: If you meet Christ, here's what you do for the rest of your life. You go make disciples.
0: Now, when you see that, you are right away going, this is a different kind of church. Am I right? I mean, you, you, you're at least willing to listen. When you see creativity and passion and excellence all on display, when you see stuff that is relevant to you, catching your attention immediately, you go, I am willing to listen. Friends, If we, 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 they have to hear before the gospel can be truly given to someone. And so we want to create a culture here where they listen, where they're willing to hear. So this is why we invest so much energy and creativity and into into video, into all of these things. Um, You think about music. How important is music to people? I mean, it's huge. How important is music to culture? It is the language of culture. Matter of fact, they say, if you want to know the next generation, look at their music. Look at their music. It carries their ideas. It carries their passions. And so we want music to be not only just something that we, we go through and go, oh, we did a little worship. No, 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 friends. We want music to carry our souls to God. We want people to walk in here and have a moment where in, it, it, we're in the middle of a crazy world, in the mer- middle of a loud, out-of-control world, that they have a moment that is sacred, where they can connect deeply, To the heart of God. So worship carries us to the heart of God. And this is why we put so much effort into this thing called music around here. Let's worship together. People say, uh, you people at Metro have uh, invested a lot of money in that PA stuff. Yep. They say, well, you let a lot of young players get up there and play and sing. Yep. Because that's the future. That's what the world hears. That's what the world's listening to. Not that we need to be like the world. We are not like the world. But we want to bring the gospel to the world. And it takes relevance. It takes passion. It takes excellence like that. To make that happen. To make it happen. So when we come together at a place like this, I want you to imagine being a guest. Someone who has spent their life outside of the body of Christ. Um, They're scared. They're terrified to be in here. We want to take that away from them. We want to open their hearts so they can receive the message that God wants to give them. And so we play like crazy and we make art like crazy and we even try to preach like crazy around here. We take the teaching of God's word very, very serious. Um, I wish we could come up with a better preacher, but so one we got, all right? And so I wanna show you what we want people to feel when they walk in here. We want them to see the passion, the relevance and the excellence from beginning to the end from the parking lot to the bathroom to children's church to to our generation ministry um, from the video to the music all of it so that they can hear the teaching of God's holy word let's look mourn with those who mourn anybody ever hear that? Paul comes along and says it's better together You can survive it together with someone else. He doesn't say, go and fix it. He doesn't say, go and make it right. He doesn't say, go and drop off a bunch of advice. He doesn't say, go and give them some money. He doesn't say, go and drop off a meal even. He doesn't even say, go and pray for them. You know what he says? He says, go and be with them. Go mourn with them. Go hurt with them. Go weep with them. Go cry with them. Go feel it with them. Mourn with those who mourn. You won't win until you stop the fight and you let God be God. You let God pick up the fight for you. You let God do what what man cannot do. You let God do for you, Jeremy, what
2: God only can do. And what happened? What happened? Peter preached the gospel. And in one day, one day, one day, one day, 3,000 people got saved because a 16 year old boy preached the gospel. It's an unbelievable thing. Jesus knew, and you know who the elders of the early church were? The disciples again kids like you're going what was Jesus thinking he's going I'm gonna put my spirit in them they're gonna get a vision and their passion and drive is gonna take this thing to the ends of the earth and I would suggest and say that the reason we are here in Taylor Michigan halfway around the world from where Jesus died was because young people decided they got to tell the world about Jesus it's natural to talk about
0: things you love it's natural and friends there is a point In our lives, for those of us in this room, and I don't know if it's everybody, but for those of us in this room who have decided to follow Christ, there is a point, if we truly love him, that that he will become front and center in our conversation.
3: He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now don't miss the logic here. This is an argument. This is logic. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him? He gave us him. He already gave you the greatest thing he could possibly give. How will he not also along with him graciously give you all things? I mean, if he gave you his son,
0: what's he going to keep from you? Nothing. That God is so passionate. He's on a rampage looking for lost things. He wants to restore that which is lost in your life. He says, God is restless and relentless towards you. He, he loves you and it's unbridled the way he loves you. And he's going to keep coming after you. And he's willing to build that which has been destroyed in your life. He's willing to lift up that which has been brought down in
2: your life. He's willing to repair that which has been broken, even if you're the one who broke it. Because I'm telling you, we live in an age where we think all things are just grace and pixie sticks. We live in an age where we just say, It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and it doesn't matter how I live. When, listen, listen to me, when it comes to salvation, who gets into heaven or hell, look, it is all grace. I promise you, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you will do, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. Look, grace covers all sin. Look, we got to understand that. But after that, there's going to be a moment where you stand before a holy, awesome, mighty God, and you got to decide what did grace do to you? Did grace shift you? Did grace change you? Did grace make you become more like Jesus? Understand, there's gonna be a judgment for every single person who is of faith. And listen to me, if your idea is I'm gonna meet Jesus so I get out of hell, and then I'm just gonna barely get in and you're gonna stand before God one day, look, it's not gonna go well for you. The biggest lie
0: is not that good people go to heaven. That's a big lie. The bigger lie is that we think we're good. You want to know what the deepest truth of scripture is? Is that good people don't go to heaven. Listen to me. Forgiven people go to heaven. There's this moment in our lives, if we get outside of God's will, that shame comes our way. And as a result, shame had, listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they fell, as a result, shame enters the picture, right? And I want you to note this, friends. I want you to get this. I want you to think deeply about this one simple statement. Shame is the result of separation from God. And shame will separate you from God. It's a result from being distant from God, and it will cause distance from God. You see, with Adam and Eve, instead of going, oh, man, we are broken. Oh, man, are we in trouble? Oh, man, what do they do? They go, oh, we're naked, and we're going to go hide. We're going to go figure out a way to get away from God. Friends, the only course of action that's going to bring us to what God really truly wants is to run toward God. When you consider the enormous amount of numbers of existing manuscripts and you consider the, their agreement with each other and the time span between the copies and the original writing, listen to this, virtually all modern textual scholars, Christian or not, agree, carte block across the board, that it is a well-established fact that the Bible we read today is an accurate reflection
2: of the original writings of Scripture. What I want is for us to get a taste of this book, and I want it to be like the chocolate I want it to be like when you guys read the Bible, when we take in the Bible, it's as sweet as anything we've ever had to where We just can't stop. We just keep taking it in and in and in and in, and we can't get enough until, pow, the Holy Spirit or Jesus just explodes out of us. Man, that's what we're gunning for. Like, that's what should happen. We should view this book as so sweet where we can't stop until it's got power coming out of us. Um... You
0: know, the truth is, there has to be something more than just do not judge, because I look at my own life. And if I didn't have people, every once in a while, come up to me and say, Jay, man, bro, you, you have, you've got to work on this. You've got to change this. I don't know where I'd be. Because baptism, listen, friends is an outward expression of an inward transformation. It is an outward of saying that your life is changed. It's an outward way of saying that I have a new love in my life. It's an outward of saying that I have a new pursuit in my life. It's an outward way of saying that there is something different inside of me. Um, It is aligning externally what God is already shaping internally inside of you. Amen? Baptism, yeah. Amen? baptism is a public declaration of a brand new association with your life when christ comes he's going to shout a single word and that word is enough enough you hear this enough pain enough sorrow enough divorce enough cancer enough brokenness, enough hopelessness, enough despair, enough drugs,
2: enough addiction. He's saying enough, 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 enough. It's over. You don't get the last word. Because if you want to make something of your life, if you want something to come of your life and you want to do something big, you want your life to count, you want your life to matter, then listen to me, the number one thing that you need more than anything else in the world is the presence of God in your life. Can I just tell you something? There is
0: one chase. There is one pursuit that is worth giving your life to. There is one high noble cause in our life that is worth giving our heart and soul to. And friends, that is to know God and his kingdom through his son, Jesus. Anybody? That is it, friends. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said it this way. He said, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and all the other stuff that you chase in this world will be added to you. You seek first him and all that he has for you. And God will take care of all the rest that he wants you to have.
3: And what I'm learning is that during the in-between, Jesus is clearing space for himself clearing space that we can know his presence so we can know his power, know his hope, know his leadership in a whole different way. The most important thing Jesus wants for you is for you to know him for who he really is, to see his glory so that you can trust him no matter what's going on in your life.
0: I want to be a church where people, all people, can take next steps. All people toward God no matter who they are, what they've done, that they can take next steps toward God and with God. And do you know what I mean by all people? I mean everybody. I mean everybody, all people. And what I mean by everybody is this. I mean religious people and non-religious people. I mean people who are really good at sinning and people who live like saints. I want both to be able to take next steps toward God and with God here. I want a place where where it doesn't matter your past, where it doesn't matter who you come from or what people group you're part of, where white people and black people and Latino people and rich people and poor people and everybody in between in a mix of it all can take next steps toward God and with God. Hmm. Here is what we read earlier. 1 Corinthians 14.25, it says this. As they listen, when they come into these doors, when their hearts have been open, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. That's what we want. We want to do this so that they can see him. We want to do church this way. I know it's different. I know it's risky. I know it's not cheap. I know it takes a lot of work. But I want to do this because they matter deeply to God. And they matter to us. We want them to say, God is truly among Metro. Jesus, we come before you. And uh, we want to be your people. Hmm. I know that we get so much uh, wrong as a community. I know I'm a um, very failed leader in many ways. And I know that there's a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of past who call themselves Metro. But God, we want to give all of it to you. All of it. We want you to be among us. And we want people who are on the outside to see the inside and to want what's on the inside. So God, help us be your church. Truth, love, growth, growth, Passion, relevance, and excellence. We want people to know you, God. Help us to be that people. In Jesus' name, amen.